In the crucial moments leading up to Christ's ministry, John the Baptist prepared the way, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then, in order to fulfill all righteousness, Christ himself was baptized. Now, as we face these crucial moments leading up to Christ's glorious return, the charge resting upon us is not only to see the world through the fresh view of repentance and make precious covenants, but to help others do the same. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. Pretty much my whole life, I've always kind of thought that I knew better. I was really stubborn. I liked to do everything my own way and I didn't necessarily take advice from anybody. You know, somebody would tell me to do something, I'd be like, well, I know better than that. On every report card, it's Emma is too talkative. Emma doesn't know when to stop talking. Emma is a chatty Kathy, so I really struggled knowing when it was time to listen and then it was time to talk with friends. Being obedient is how we, we find joy in our lives. There's little things that I can listen to every day that will help advance me towards Christ and living a more Christ-like life. Jesus uh, was willing to be baptized even though he didn't need to be baptized because he was willing to be obedient to the Father. And because of that, that shows me the example that I need to be willing to be obedient to the Father as well. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I'm your host. And returning as our gospel scholar today is Camille Frank Olson. Thanks for being here, Camille. Thank you. Camille is a very popular speaker and author and is Professor Emeritus of Ancient Scripture at Brigham Young University. I'm excited to work with you and learn from you again today, Camille. Thank you. And seated next to Camille is our special guest, Bruce Newbold. Bruce is an actor, author, and the creator of a one-man presentation called In Him Was Life. He and his wife, Lisa, have five kids, and 17 grandchildren. Bruce, we are so happy to have you here. It's good to be here, thank you. Um, and we'd also wanna welcome our studio audience. We're excited to hear from your experiences that you have to share with us as well. And to our viewers at home, thank you for joining us. Throughout this discussion, we'll invite you to share your experiences with us on any of our social media platforms. For downloadable resources for study and teaching, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup for more. So today we're gonna to be basing our discussion around uh, Matthew chapter three, Mark chapter one, and Luke chapter three. And as always, uh, these chapters and discussion uh, fall in line with the Come Follow Me resource uh, that is provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the two topics we're gonna to be discussing today are first, Jesus Christ was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And the second topic is, repentance is a mighty change of mind and heart. Now, before we jump into the specific topics, Camille, do you want to give us a little bit of background information on just these chapters we're going to be discussing? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, and they very often um, parallel each other in the way they present stories, although they do look at them from a different perspective that we might talk about a little bit later. But just to get a background for these chapters, all three of these chapters cover the baptism of Jesus Christ and introduce that by showing John the Baptist as he started his ministry preaching repentance and 
to a whole variety of different people in the area and their reaction to his, to his preaching. When Jesus comes to him, um, he's rather amazed, right? Because he says, who am I that you, the son of God, would come to me to be baptized of me? And, and that story along with the actual baptism is one that all three of these gospel writers in these chapters cover and important details that I think have relevance for us in our life and our own baptism. Thank you, Camille, for sharing that. Now, Bruce, I, I wanna, um, want you to feel free to share at any time some of uh, your experiences and how what you've done in your professional life has helped you understand more of these gospels. Would you mind just kind of explaining to us uh, the project you've worked on and then add in some of your own background information to these chapters we're gonna be talking about today? Well, years ago, I saw a fellow named Mark Toledo do the Gospel of Mark as a one-man show, and he came from New York. And when I saw it, I thought, you know, Mark is the leanest of all the Gospels. What would happen if you put bits and pieces of all four of the Gospels together and then made kind of one long kind of continuum, uh, chronologically accurate and scriptorally accurate from the King James Version, and created a whole different presentation? so that you could gather together bits and pieces of conversations from one gospel and another and put them together so that there was a little more depth in the conversation, in the performance. So I did that. I, I memorized that. And so it's basically the equivalent to one of the gospels. And I'll tell you what, it has been my best friend, other than my wife, you know, <laughs> over the years. And, and so I love to hear when Camille begins to talk about things because in my mind, I'm immediately hearing and then Jesus, 30 years of age, went from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized of him. And John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. So all these wonderful scriptures just come pouring through. Huh? So that's kind of in a nutshell what that presentation is all about. And I've been lucky enough to do it throughout the United States over the past many years. And so. Well, we're happy to have you here to be able to share what you've learned through that experience. So the topic we're gonna to discuss today is Jesus Christ was baptized to fulfill all of righteousness. Now, something that both of you mentioned in regard to um, what we're talking about today is, is John and something that he said about, he kind of questions himself like, wait, why, why me? Why am I doing this? A sense of unworthiness uh, from his part. Can we explore that a little bit? and? and kind of go into what does that teach us about John and given his relationship with the Savior, why does he feel so unworthy to baptize him? Well, I mean, I think we could put our ourselves in John the Baptist's place and the Lord asking us to do something for him, um, it, it, could, it could feel very similarly. His humility, um, his reverence and his knowledge and testimony of who Jesus Christ is comes through. Um, he's more than willing to help out, to spread the gospel, to baptize everyone else. But I wonder too, he's saying, why Jesus? Why would he need to be baptized? Of anybody, he would not be the one as he's been preaching, repent ye, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is hardly appropriate it would appear to be for Jesus Christ. You know, and, and what I love about this, uh, this part of the story is that it's something that's pretty re relatable. I think throughout our lives, there are those moments where we feel like we've been given a responsibility that we are not worthy of. And I, I'd love to hear from the audience on maybe, uh, when has there been a time in your life when you have been called or asked to do something 
that you didn't feel worthy enough to do? Rob. I'm, I'm a convert to the church. Um, and I remember a few years uh, after I had been in the church and learned, um, I was called to teach primary. And I, that was something I had never done before and that I was super nervous about. And why am I going to teach? I should not be the one teaching little children. And um, I just remember being very nervous about it and praying about it. And um, when I went and did my first les lesson, it just, all my nervousness melted away. And I just, I felt the spirit where I felt like this is where I should be teaching these kids. And I, and I felt okay with what I was saying to them. Yeah. That's so neat. What, what does that feel like for, for somebody who's new to being a member of, of the Church of Jesus Christ or of Latter-day Saints? Uh, what did that feel like for you in that moment to where you knew that you could do that? Uh, it, honestly, it, I felt relief because okay. I had been searching a number of years for uh, a place to belong. And once I, I felt that connection, I just, it, everything fell into place. That's a great example. Yeah, that's a really great example. So John overcomes his feelings of inadequacy, and I'm sure he's bolstered by the confidence that Jesus is giving him. So can we move and let's talk about the actual baptism itself. Uh, what is happening? Uh, can we describe a little bit about some of the details of the baptism of the Savior? I think it's fascinating where it took place. This is actually in the Gospel of John, right? With the Joseph Smith translation, it'll tell you Beth Abra. But Beth Abra actually means house of the fording or the place of the crossing. And so there's something I just think, but most likely down there towards the, where the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea, the lowest point on the face of the earth, it's an interesting kind of thing to just see that spot that has a name, Bethabra, um, is where this seems to have taken place. And here is Jesus, who is everything, who is without sin, without need to repent, who is baptized in that, goes, descends below all and rises to bring us all back up. I just think geographically that location is, is remarkable. And Bruce, you spent some time in that region. Uh, do you mind describing for us what you experienced and what you learned from being there? Oh, okay, so this is down below, as Camille said, close to the Dead Sea. So we're close to Jericho anyway, down south. So this is literally, yeah, it's, um, 825 feet below sea level. Wow. So it's a drop of 2,500 feet from Jerusalem to this area. Now, the far side is Jordan. This side is Israel. Uh, so you have armed guards on both sides now. But I was interested in seeing people will come now to be baptized in this area, and they'll come from all over the world. When we were there, we were seeing people from Ethiopia. Uh, a week prior to that, we were seeing people from the United States all of them having their own sweet spiritual experience in, in this regard. But uh, up, up closer to Galilee, the water is much clearer. And once it you know, goes through the desert and so forth, it gets a little murkier. But um, it was an astounding experience to think, the scripture says, and there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were baptized of him in the river Jordan. So it was a wonderful experience to kind of sense you know, that this may be the place where all of this was happening. 
So what can we learn from the example that Christ set by being baptized? Emma. Something I love about the baptism of Christ, I think, is not only is he being obedient to his father, but like you said, he's setting an example for for us as his brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest in my family, and so, you know, there, there is something about setting an example for those around you, and they look up to you and being obedient to your parents, just like in a nuclear family. It's very much, I feel like, the same with our heavenly family, right? Having an older brother figure who is Christ being baptized even when there was no rhyme or reason to um, just shows his obedience and his um, humility in doing so. So um, I love that he loved us enough to set that example. And how do you feel the example that like at the times you are obedient to your parents, how do you feel that affects those that are perhaps younger than you looking up and watching you? Oh, it's a blessing and a curse, right? <laughs> like um, I, have an, I served a mission and my brother currently is serving his mission. And he said to me, like, you know, you were such a big example. And, and I said, well, I only went, be, not only went, but I went because it was something that my parents had talked about. They both serve full-time missionaries. So you can really see how it not only affected my parents, but now my brother and soon my sister when she comes of age. And then my hopefully future children, right? It really just impacts generations. Um, following one another's examples through Christ. And Emma's example, thank you, Emma, that really does show um, Christ's true mission on this earth is to set the example for, for all of us by his willingness to submit to the Father. You know, how much more do, should we, you know, do the same? You know, I, I think a personal application here, and, and I listened to you, you know, talking about your brother and you serving missions and so forth. and. And you sense this is the first saving ordinance that we experience in life is baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we sense then covenants that are associated with that. As far as a personal application is concerned, one of the things we constantly love to do in our stake is, is ask the youth, what are those covenants that you've made at baptism? And, and I like to see that they're becoming much more accurate in, in reciting back what those are and what they hear in the sacrament prayer and so forth. But I think one of those key principles is how do we really take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ? What does that mean in our personal lives? And, and you can sense the complete change in the world if everyone in their thoughts and their words and their deeds really connected to that first part or that first one at least that they're willing to take upon themselves the name of, of thy son that we hear in the sacrament prayer. What a different world it would be if, if all of us just really took that seriously. You know, Bruce, that's a beautiful thought. And it, it reminds us of a quote from Elaine Dalton in, in regards to the baptismal covenant. She said, the covenant you make at baptism will tether you to the path of virtue and happiness as you renew that covenant each week by partaking of the sacrament. As you keep your baptismal covenant, you will look different, dress different, and act different from the world. Keeping this covenant will enable you to be guided by the Holy Ghost. Mm. And it just really shows you the mm -hmm. power of the, the baptismal covenant and how when you really take that seriously and understand what it means, it changes your, your whole outlook on everything. And you can't say, ooh, was I, did that happen to me? Did I make that covenant? There's something about the ritual of baptism, isn't there, that you know when you go underwater mm -hmm. and when you come back up that I did that. And I will never be able to, I would never deny that. 
Well, thank you both for your comments and thank you from the audience for sharing your experiences with us on our first topic, Jesus Christ was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And for you at home, what has been your greatest takeaway from Christ's baptism? What can you do to be obedient to God? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. When I think of the principle of repentance, the, the concept or doctrine, I like to think of a loving Heavenly Father. I like to think of me as a dad watching my children learn to walk and seeing them fall. And, and not punishing, punishing them for falling, but finding a way to help them stand up and say, it's okay, it's okay, go on. So I sense the whole principle of repentance is not a punishment, but a loving Heavenly Father saying, let me lift you. Let me show you how to become what you can become. Let me help you fill the measure of your creation. And in the process, you'll bless my children that I have created as well. So the second topic we're gonna to discuss today is repentance is a mighty change of mind and heart. Now, I think sometimes poor repentance gets kind of a bad rap, right? I think I just so. feel like it's just been stigmatized so much, but the reality is it's a really beautiful thing. So can we talk a little bit about some of the aspects of repentance and how we can use it to draw closer to Christ? Well, I would start just by looking at John the Baptist starts his preaching, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then when Christ begins his teaching, you think, oh, he'll build on that and tell the deep secrets. But he says, repent ye <laughs> for the kingdom of God. You know, it, I love verse 15 of Mark 1. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And I think if there's anything that is going to open up hearts and minds to be able to recognize who the Savior is and the value and power of his gospel, it is repentance. Um, it's called the preparatory gospel. It's part of the preparatory gospel. And in that way, this message is the most fabulous good news message there could be. So why the invitation? Why the, uh, the constant invitations? What is the point of uh, our, our Heavenly Father? What is the point of the Savior encouraging us to repent? My sense is that he's saying, let me lift you to the next level. Are you willing to be lifted? Uh, he's saying, I love you, but can I trust you? My wife and I were in San Diego here recently and we were out on the pier and all of a sudden we saw an animal floating in, in, the, in the harbor there. We thought, oh, it must be a seal. But then as we got closer to it, we saw that it was a dog, but it was going the wrong direction. And then all the people on the pier began to gather and call this dog and, and the dog paid us no heed and went out into the harbor where the boats were. By then we have everybody wondering what's gonna happen and there's a boat that's close to it. We signal to the people in the boat and they see that there's a dock there and finally get close enough, pull the boat close enough, but they reach down and when they did, the dog turns to bite the hand. Another boat comes around and the dog is close to them and they reach down and the same thing happens. We see the hand go back as the dog turns its head and then a guy jumps off the pier, takes his shirt off, jumps into the water and swims out to this dog. This is about 200 yards away by now. And, um, and the dog now is between the two boats. Suddenly we see a life jacket uh, drop into the water. We see the man. And finally the, the dog comes back up, you know, onto the, onto the boat. 
and so does the man. So a happy ending, but I don't know that the dog was ever reunited with its owner. But my wife and I walked back to the hotel and, and she said, there's got to be a learning experience. <laughs> there's got to be a life lesson in this. And, and we were thinking about how with each one of the saving ordinances, Heavenly Father says, I love you. Can I trust you? Then let me lift you out of the water. If you're going to bite my hand, that's okay. You have your agency. But when you're willing to be lifted, let me lift you. And with that, saving ordinance comes some covenants and blessings, a promised blessing. So I think in connection with repentance, this process of taking upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ, which is in and of itself repentance, isn't it? Daily trying to become better. Heavenly Father says, I've given you a plan to lift you. Okay, now you're at this point. Are you ready to be lifted some more? Mm -hmm. Then let me continue to implore this process of repentance, this process of becoming someone different, someone, someone better, filling the measure of our own creation kind of thing. I loved your the story about the dog and how repentance, it's, you know, when we're ready to be lifted up. So sometimes you have to go through hard things, but the point of repentance is to help us lift and, and progress. We had a question come in from one of our viewers and I want the audience to, to consider how you would uh, help answer this question in regards to repentance. This is Ryan in Cork, Ireland. Uh, when I repent of something and then make the same mistake again later, how can I be sure that I'm actually progressing? Thanks. That's a really good question. Should we go to the audience and see what they see first? Sure. Okay. Jackson, please. One thing that, that I notice about the question is when we make the same mistake again, and I think that's a key word, it was a mistake. I think that as human beings, we are constantly making mistakes. And there's a big difference between being openly rebellious and doing something that you know is wrong on purpose and making a mistake because we're imperfect. And I think that so long as we are changing our, our mind and our ways towards God, we're going to make mistakes. But the idea is that we're trying constantly. Um, and that's why we take the sacrament every week and not once a life. Um, is so that we have this constant renewal, uh, the, a kind of a reset button. There's, there's, there's so many things in life that, that tell us we don't get second chances, but repentance is, that's the whole point, is chance after chance. How have you personally taken that approach um, as you've made mistakes? Um, how have you had the confidence that you yourself are still progressing? I personally have gotten very frustrated in the past with myself um, for making the same mistake over and over and over. But one thing I noticed is um, <laughs> it's very hard to be patient <laughs> with ourselves especially. But when I learned to kind of be patient with myself at least a little bit, I noticed that you know I was making the same mistake, but each time I made it, it got a little longer in between. Okay. And to the point where, where I'd go a full year without making the same mistake, but then I'd make it again. Okay. And so rather than thinking that all my hard work had been undone, I just kept on going until uh, the point where, you know, then I was like, hey, I, you know, I haven't made that mistake in mm -hmm. a long time. Now I'm gonna focus on all these other things in my, you know. So um, I, think, I think being patient and, 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 and letting yourself notice that, you know, the gaps are getting larger. You know, and Jackson brings up a great point in how 
there isn't, repentance doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and never make another mistake again for the rest of your life. And I really just think that this adds power to the atonement and to mm-hmm. God's love, his mercy and grace. I think sometimes in our mortal myopia, we have a sense that, as has been said before, that God is the referee that is interested in kicking us out of the game mm-hmm. and looking for every excuse. But I, I know as a parent, I watched my children learn to walk and how many times did they fall over? And, and you don't get mad at them. You, you help them up and you, you set them on their feet again and, and eventually they learn that process. I think Elder Scott once said, um, he said, if we spend our time eating jalapenos, we can't enjoy the taste of a grape. Our mouth is so used to the jalapenos. But as we invite that spirit in, as we take seriously that covenant to take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ and remember him, then all of a sudden there becomes no desire to do evil. At least we hope that that's the process. There is only desire to do good continuously. And that seems to be the ultimate goal of the process of repentance. It's not the shameful thing where God is saying, I'm going to slap you down because look, you just can't ever get better. You know, it's no, let me help you. Let me help you. And, and constantly the desire to lift us. You know, and I feel like that there's been a shift uh, within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and, and kind of changing the stigma mm-hmm. of repentance. Um, I'd love to hear from you, Camille. What's been the evolution of repentance in your life? Um, I think initially it was, I will never do anything wrong. I remember mm. the dress I wore when I was baptized when I thought that's my life. And as long <laughs> as I stay in this dress, I will never do anything wrong. And I really, I mean, eight-year-old me, I really believed that. And I believed that would be possible. And, and so it was more of an avoidance of mm-hmm. doing anything. And then I have, over time, more embraced the experience of life and, and how um, stifling it is to remain cloistered inside without trying to do anything for fear I might make a mistake. And I've tried that, and that's not a happy way to live. And the other is um, going forward with faith, not knowing exactly where it's going to lead, but knowing that's the feeling I have that to propel me forward. And you stumble, um, you fall like a child. And yet, you know, there's something in that falling and feeling the support to get back up again that is actually one of the most beautiful and powerful experiences ever that makes me say, wow, you know, I'm not even asking, was that perfect? I'm not even thinking that. I'm just thinking I was able to do something I never thought was possible. And I think it is, it, it would not have happened had I not fallen and felt his help bringing me back up. You know, President Nelson uh, spoke about this and and what uh, baptism, what repentance really means. He says, yes, the Lord has commanded us to repent, to change our ways, to come unto him and be more like him. This requires a total change. Repentance is the Lord's regimen for spiritual growth. Repentance is conversion. A repentant soul is a converted soul. A converted soul is a repentant soul. It doesn't say a converted soul is a perfect soul. You know, it's somebody who is like Jackson uh, alluded to is on that path. You're going to make mistakes along that path. But repentance is you've got that mighty change of heart as Alma talks about. 
and you're, you're, you're headed in the right direction. Well, and I just think what else it says to me too is it isn't just to prepare you for baptism. And I, sometimes that's a misconception as well that if you repent and then are baptized, hopefully you'll never need to use repentance again. <laughs> oh, I love President Nelson's reminder about us appreciating and enjoying daily repentance. And just think of that. I tell myself that I need to do, remember that every day. If I will do that every day, there is much reason to rejoice, isn't there? Mm -hmm. I think in my, in my generation, and I look back on this as a deacon and a teacher back in the 60s, repentance was punishment. Mm -hmm. It was because you failed, you made a mess of it, don't tell anybody. In fact, it's Lucifer mm -hmm. to Adam mm -hmm. and Eve. Quick, hide, don't tell anybody. And, and that's what I felt like, oh, I don't want anybody to know that I need to repent because that shows that I'm a failure. Yeah. And so I, I, I would hope that nowadays we are, we are softening with love mm -hmm. and, and teaching the youth, if you make a mistake, it's okay. Who goes through life without mm -hmm. a mistake? Right. I mean, except the Savior. And teaching them as President Nelson, as we just saw there, that this is a gift. And how often do prophets and even Jesus Christ say, preach nothing but repentance. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you think, okay, we can get on to another lesson. But that does seem foundational for everything and the key to the progress we need to make and we can make. Well, thank you both for uh, your experiences and your comments. Audience, thank you for sharing with us. I'm really excited because in footnotes, we'll, we'll revisit uh, some of these things as well. And for those at home, please stick around and join us for Footnotes, where we take a deeper dive with Camille and Bruce into the scriptures, context, history, and more. So the Holy Spirit usually teaches me by giving me just a little thought or a push or a, uh, mostly just a little thought in my head that will um, you know, instruct me to do something. It's a feeling inside that is only known to me, I think, and it, like it's very personal that I know when that, when I'm getting a prompting. Sometimes it's a voice in my head. Sometimes it's just a feeling in my heart. Sometimes it's words from another person. Maybe something that I'm reading in the scriptures or words that somebody's saying in sacrament meeting. It's very easy to just kind of push it out of your mind. Be, oh, that's just, you know, that's just a thought or, or I'm busy or I don't have time. But um, when, when I do follow those little thoughts that just, you know, come into my mind, um, I, I, it brings me joy. You know, it kind of makes me think when you're bowling and there's bumpers, you know, I'll try to go straight, but if I don't, it'll bump me back on a course. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for me. It'll just bump me right back to where I need to be and where I should go. Um, more than kind of pushing me towards the correct answer, it's just keeping me where I should be. Um, so that's how I feel like the Spirit speaks to me, and I've um, come to learn that over the years, slowly but surely. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've now dismissed our studio audience and look forward to our deeper dive with Camille and Bruce. All right, guys, we've had so far a, a really wonderful discussion and there's still so much to get to. So uh, I wanna first start in by, because we are jumping from different gospels, uh, I wanna kind of revisit uh, just the comparison of the gospel writers and what we can learn from each of their different takes and, and their accounts. I think that's a really good question because there seems to often be a mentality that if you read one of the gospels, you've read them all and just choose 
usually the shortest one, which is Mark, and then you've got it, which is lovely, but you miss some of the nuances, and especially with the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which do are much more similar, but they are still different. Now look at this. Matthew, it appears, hit by background, he, he's a Jew and he knows the Jewish culture and he's writing to a Jewish audience. And so he will pick up on a lot of the um, customs and society that the Jewish audience would be familiar with. By contrast, Mark is a, is a Jew by way of background, but he's writing to Gentiles. So you'll oftentimes see him translate Aramaic or translate some of the customs to say, this is why we're doing. And we typically don't notice it because we appreciate the, the explanation because we're not from that Jewish culture. The third one is Luke. Luke is a Gentile writing to Gentiles. And he knows what it's like to be outside that mm -hmm. house of Israel mentality, the, the Jewish mentality as an outsider. And you watch how he's very thoughtful and, and careful about including so many of the outcasts in society. So you can feel that and you think about how many different audiences there are reading these gospels and where you're coming from. I think typically we might feel a, a connection with one mm -hmm. at different times more than others. But John is totally different, as we've mentioned before, because he's not writing to Jew or Gentile. He's writing to people who already believe. And so in that way, different from showing what the gospel would look like to someone who has never known about the Savior, who's never known anything about Jesus, who's just being told what his ministry was like, and would you be a believer? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the ones to do it. But once you believe and you wanna get in deeper and you wanna see um, things that he said that were, was far greater than people imagined at the time, you go to John. That's so neat. All right, well, uh, something um, I would, I'd like to touch on um, uh, within these chapters that we haven't talked about much, uh, there's a lot of miracles uh, that mm. take place. Uh, different things and, and, and different things we can learn uh, from them. Um, any thoughts on, on any specific ones you wanna, you wanna go to? You know, um, there's, there's one thing that I would consider a miracle, but it's not necessarily the healing of, of someone who is ill or the casting out of a devil. But at this point in time, when, when the Savior then finally calls the apostles, there are two scriptures that say they forsook all and followed him. To me, one of the miracles that takes place in life is a conversion to the point where you say, okay, Heavenly Father, do with me what you want. I trust thee, thou art my father. Teach me, hone me, tutor me, do whatever you want with me. I hope I can take it, you know, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. I don't think there's anything more liberating than that. Mm -hmm. And I think the soul that finally says, I am willing to forsake everything I have. Well, then you've been involved in the Book of Mormon films and, and we hear the scripture, I'll give away every, I'll give away all my yeah. sins to know mm -hmm. thee. Yeah. Um, you know, so, with, uh, with uh, King Lamoni's father. I love learning about the story. And with his father, you see this, this progression where he says, I'll give up half my kingdom. Yeah. I'll give up all my kingdom. And then he finally mm. gets it. I will give up all my sins yeah. to know thee. Isn't that sweet? To me, that's a mm -hmm. miracle. Yeah. That's a miracle to see these humble fishermen kind of go, I think he's right. Mm -hmm. I think this is it. 
they forsook all and followed him. What a great message, a miraculous message. That's beautiful. Oh, it is, it is. <laughs> and I think that's the whole thing that there are so many more miracles happening than what might be labeled as such or that as the record was recorded. Do you have a favorite one that you, you can? Oh, I think Mark is one of the ones that you see because he's focused on actions, you're gonna see miracles just uh, every page, mm-hmm. every page. And so you have to come back and say, what did Jesus do? He went about doing good and <laughs> performing miracles. Those that had to do with healing or physical kind of miracles, but then you start seeing that's only the tip of the iceberg. The greatest miracles are what are happening beneath that. And and uh, well, who was it? One of the general authorities years ago said, the greatest miracle is the healing of sick souls. Uh-huh. Wow. And, yeah. and, and I've thought of that and I go, that's in many ways what he's doing in performing these physical miracles seem to be teaching them. If this is easy, this is, yep, it's on the outside, but what goes on in the inside? He is doing that as well. And that it's powerful. And you see a lot of times what happens to people afterwards when they follow what he's asked them to do their whole life changes. And it's not just because they can now see where they were blind, physically blind before, or walk where they were lame before. It's because they've taken on this, like you said, forsaking the former life and are following him. And, and you'd mentioned, you know, the power of his teaching. We're introduced to a couple of scriptures here early where it says, they were astonished at his doctrine for his word was with power or he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Mm -hmm. So he's introducing not only the miracles, like you say, but a whole new form of preaching and teaching. And the fact that they're comprehending it and embracing it, see, that's a miracle to see Mm -hmm. what was happening there. But here's just one example. It's the very end of Mark 1, verse 39. He preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. And that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all pretty much most of their stories and most of the event, they cover the Savior's ministry in Galilee. Um, that's the main focus, whereas John focuses much more in Jerusalem. So we see so many happening here, but it was a major area. It seems like there's more humble people, um, poor people. It's not the aristocracy that's living down there or up there, excuse me. But then here comes a leper to him. And, and think about what a leper, a leper is considered unclean. And I think there's just no one that people wouldn't touch them. People would not be around them. As far as their station in society, where would you put a leper? Oh, they're mm-hmm. down at the bottom, aren't right, they? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard to get someone who's con- who is unclean, you, you couldn't go farther. Mm-hmm. And so I think every single time you read about a leper being cleansed by the Savior, he touches them. And I think there's something in that touch that is as healing as anything else that happens on the skin, you know? Um, he, he, he performs those miracles in a way that seems to match where their greatest needs are in their soul, in their spirit, inside themselves. That's a great way to think of that because, mm-hmm. you know, the woman with the issue of blood reaches mm-hmm. out and touches him and he stops immediately and he says, who touched me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they say, well, there's a there's hundred people around you. How yeah. do you say who touched me? 
but he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. You, you see this, this touch situation, you know, yeah. where they need it. And, and she comes fearing and trembling, but unclean as well, yeah. making her way through that, that And crowd. what it would take for her to say, I did it. Because she knows exactly. They're saying, oh, everyone's touched you, but she knows exactly that it's her. And I think, isn't she potentially thinking, mm, if they know I touched him, I've just made him unclean, and that's yeah. going to be bad. And what's really interesting about that is we focus on the miracle of the, the physical cleansing, when the reality is the true miracle that happens with all of us is the spiritual mm -hmm. cleansing that takes place. It is. It because is. of the Savior. And, it, and, it's, and it's quite symbolic here, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, though mm -hmm. we see a healing underneath the message is, how do we save a soul? How do Absolutely. we heal a soul? Yes. And that's what the Lord cares about. I mean, He cares about all aspects of our life, but that is it. And, and this, this leper, verse 42, as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him. See that immediately, things are just happening. <laughs> and he was cleansed and he straightly, there's another immediately charged him and forthwith sent him away. But what did he charge him with? See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. When you're cleansed as a leper, you need to be that ritual at the temple to be pronounced clean so you can enter back into society. Um, but verse 45, he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. So this brings up, I think one of the reasons I, I like this, it, it's a reminder that when the Lord says, gives instructions, there's a reason for it. Yeah, so what, because this isn't the first time we have mm. this example of, okay, you just had this amazing experience, don't say anything. It's almost like it contradicts, you know, the idea of, you know, yes. go out to the world and, and preach in my name. Yet in these cases, and I've always wondered about that, why in these cases is he saying like, hold on a second, you know, yeah. don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> What's the meaning behind well, that? Well, I think, it, and you find, you, you, you read Mark straight through and you're finding it constantly. We saw it here in chapter one with the unclean spirit because the mm -hmm. unclean spirit knows who he is and is bearing witness of him and he tells him to hold his peace. In Gergesa, the same thing. Yeah. You know, it says, comest thou to torment us before the time? We know thee, thou Jesus, thou son of God. And he says, he says no, I don't want you testifying of me, please. You know. And I think that is it. I think there's... And again, it only happens in the Synoptic Gospels because the, the audience in John, they know who he is and you cannot hide the fact. Okay. But in all of these, he's saying, don't tell, um, tell no man. Um, and academics have come up with a theory on this that I think is really very enticing. And it seems to suggest not that Jesus doesn't want everyone to know, mm -hmm. but he wants them to know the right way. Okay. You don't want an evil spirit. You don't want to get your testimony of Jesus from an unclean spirit. Um, that's true, but the next thing he says, who's to say is that true? And he doesn't want it to be just simply because of these outward miracles. The idea um, of him saying, don't tell anyone, is that he wants everyone to come to know who he is through the witness of the spirit. Remember, ooh, I've even got this quote. Can I do this? I've got it right here. Elder Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, 1935, the Spirit of God speaking to the Spirit of man has power to impart truth with greater effect and understanding 
then the truth can be imparted by personal contact, even with heavenly beings. Mm. Through the Holy Ghost, the truth is woven into the very fiber and sinews of the body so that it cannot be forgotten. And I think Jesus will not always be there on the earth with them. But if they can know this through that power of the Spirit, that's going to propel them through. And just one other little example, just to show this, but you'll find so many. In Matthew 16, when they're up in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asks them, whom do, ye, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they come up with all these, because it hasn't been clear. People, th that message has not gone out specifically. And then he asks, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answers, be careful because, you know, Bruce might check you on it. <laughs> yeah, okay, see, this is right. He says, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I think in some ways what he's saying, Peter, bless you that you know that. Mm -hmm. Because I haven't told you, I'm flesh, Jesus is flesh and blood. I haven't told you that. I think what he might be saying, there were very few that could live at the same time he did in the Holy Land. And to hear him during those three years of his ministry. But no matter when we live, um, we can get that witness of the Spirit. We can get that today for sure. We can have that witness of the Spirit. And he's saying that is speaks to the very fibers and sinews of our body. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is. That is really neat. And I love what you said. It's a, it's a manifestation that comes to us through the Holy Ghost. It's gonna give us that individual testimony. And we see that. That is what, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, this is the doctrine that we really hold dear to our hearts, that we gain from this account of, of the baptism of Jesus Christ, this, this idea of, of the Godhead, of um, that they are three distinct individual beings uh, that exist. Can we talk a little bit about that and the significance that sometimes I think we overlook because it is mm -hmm. so familiar. Mm -hmm. How important is it to us that we have the knowledge of God mm -hmm. the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost? I remember hearing a, a young man in a priesthood meeting one day talk about a difficulty of teaching his son how to pray because he wasn't quite sure of the roles of the Godhead. Mm. You know, we, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, but we pray to the Father and we've been told to do that. Thou shalt repent and call upon the, you know, God in the name of the Son forevermore. Um, and so we have that direction in Scripture to call upon the Father in the name of the Son. Now, let's say you get to your, you know, we always get to the end of our prayer and we say, in the name of Jesus Christ. One prayer, we put that in the beginning, and that is the sacrament prayer, right? But I think that in understanding the minute we begin to pray to God the Father, but we know that the Savior is there being our advocate, it changes the face of prayer. Mm. For example, in DNC 45, you remember that wonderful moment where you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm living a great life and so the Lord will be on my side. And, but uh, here he, he talks about his role as the advocate in 45 verse 3. And he says, listen to him who is the advocate with your father, pleading your cause before him, saying, and then what he says is this, he goes, 
he doesn't mention Joseph Smith or Bruce Newbold or anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's Father, look upon him who did no sin, who gave his life, you know, for these people. Let's lift them together, kind of thing. I love that because now, as I pray, and one of the things that has touched me personally about even in sensing it in, in the baptism of Jesus Christ, where you have a manifestation of the three beings in the Godhead, now through the power of the Holy Ghost, we communicate with God the Father as Jesus Christ is our advocate. So we, when it bothers me that it is such a throwaway, mm. name Jesus Christ, amen. I, oh, ouch, mm. ouch, ouch, you know? Mm. Hold on a second. Maybe put that in the beginning of the prayer and say, Heavenly Father, in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ, we come to the kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying change the routine of your prayer, but I'm saying, how do we understand then, or how can we learn and teach our children that the Savior stands there with us as we pray, listening in, and he is our advocate with the Father? Yeah, that is very powerful. And then you think about the, the role of the Holy Ghost in bringing all things to our remembrance in, um, comforting us and teaching us. And I mean, even at the Last Supper, the Savior said to the 11 who were there, um, I can't teach you more now, but I, but when I, after I leave, then He, the, the Spirit of Truth, will come back and teach you all things that you need to hear. I, I just think that the fact that you've got three witnesses of the same truth and you and you receive that from different angles, from whatever their role is, it's just stabilizing, it's foundational, um, and it is exceptionally comforting. You know, and one thing I love about, you know, as Jesus um, is, he wants us to find out for ourselves, and Bruce, you talked about, ultimately it's the Holy Ghost. That, that carries and brings that truth, that knowledge to us. And, and we see an example of within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there is a very um, significant doctrine that we follow that comes from the baptism of the Savior that teaches us of the importance of the role of the Holy Ghost. Camille, do you mind kind of explaining a little bit about what we learn specifically from this baptism of Jesus? Yes. Can we just read it? Absolutely. Um, I'd like... The, the Matthew chapter three account, starting in verse 13, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan. How far did you say that was? That is, well, from, from Galilee to Jordan is, it Jerusalem did, to Jordan is 20 miles, 22 yeah, miles or something Galilee, like that. From we're, Galilee, we're looking 40 to 50 miles. Yeah. Um, he comes from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. And John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I think what is so significant about that is that we see all three members of the Godhead present um, and in a sense bearing witness at that moment. And, that the, and we hear one as far as the voice of the Father Jesus is standing there, 
Um, and then the Holy Ghost descending like a dove as another witness as far as what is happening there. Um, that is, that fits perfectly with our doctrine in the Church of Jesus Christ of three separate members of the Godhead who collectively bear witness of the same truths. And, and later it's revealed to Joseph Smith in and now here I'm supposed to have all these memorized, but what's the section where it literally says, you know, uh, it describes the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost as three dif different distinct oh, beings. Section 130. There you go. I was going to say section <laughs> <laughs> 130. Um, from an actor's perspective, I kind of go, is the Father's voice a bass voice or a tenor voice? Mm. How, was there a word that he emphasized? This is my beloved. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. Mm. I, I wonder about those, you know. Other times he says, hear him. This time he says, in whom I am well pleased. Mm -hmm. How we all love to hear that, would love to hear that in our own lives, right? This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Mm -hmm. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. But I think it's, it's important to see that the father recognizes the importance of testifying of Jesus Christ at this time. That's beautiful. This has been really fun. I've, I've really enjoyed and Bruce, it's been so just, it's been so neat getting to, to talk to you. I, I've seen you for, for years and I've admired the things that you do. And it's just, it's, it's fun to, to kind of have these discussions and, and learn from the experiences that you've had uh, throughout your life. And, no, I, and I think it's the other way around. <laughs> I think it's the other way around to listen to Camille teach us and to enjoy your, your, you know, your in moderation of this piece. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a thank great you. discussion. It's been, it's been awesome. And thank you for joining us at home uh, for our discussion. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions that you have received. Additional teaching, study, and shareable material is available on social media, podcasts, YouTube, and through our website at byutv.org slash come follow up. Next week, we explore what it truly means to commune with God and how to be healed in the Savior's way. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 